This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Bloody awesome! Bloody awesome! Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond, he is my one true emperor. Strom Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Matt. How are you this uh, fine, probably cold evening, I would imagine? It's very cold. It took a drop. John and I were uh, comparing notes about the weather earlier on. We don't just, just talk about films here. You know, we do talk about the weather and food and life and other things. But when the weather drops, we are going to talk about it because it's fascinating being five hours apart and seeing how life works. It's very cold. It's taken a massive drop. Um, my car is iced up. You could say it's a frozen empire almost out there. Um, so I'm having to drink more tea or more warm beverages to keep myself warm wrapping up in a few more layers but i've always said john i'd rather be okay i'd rather the weather be too cold than too hot i I don't like being cold but i'd rather be cold than hot if that makes sense because you you can layer up and it's a bit more cozy than what there's only a certain amount of layers you can take off in the heat before it becomes uh, a criminal act so in the in the cold i can layer up i'm I'm enjoying it a bit more it's going to snow apparently for the hundredth time i'll say it again it's a FYC season, it's awards season, the films are coming very thick and very fast now. I'm loving it. Um, struggle to keep up with them all, I'll say that right now. But there are worse things to worry about in the world right now, one of them being the weather. The other thing I worry about, though, is you, John. Are you keeping Florida safe and well? How are you doing? Yeah, you know, just uh, getting into the Christmas season and uh, the approach of December is already here. It's, it's wild to think a whole year has passed. Um and at the same time, this year feels really long. Like movies that we saw this year, I'm like, wait, that was that was this year? Like it feels like that yeah. was a long time ago. Like I can't even think right now. But there was one earlier today. I was like, wow, that was that was this year that I saw that movie. But it feels like it was a while ago. And and at the same time, I'm like looking and it's oh, we're a month away from 2024. I'm not ready for that. Oh, like wow. I don't I don't want to do that. Let's let's hold on. Yeah. So it's in that weird uh phase because it's also like well christmas is only like four weeks away but it's also like it's it's feels far away it's just that weird mm-hmm. time and then it, uh because of the weather it's it we're we have this like grayness to our our florida sun uh it's not raining it's not about to rain or snow but it just it just feels dark outside uh like all day today um so it's just it's just kind of weird you know it's that weird end of the year vibe yeah, and before you know it, it'll be 2024, we'll be looking ahead to a new year in film and all the uh, but our, our top films for the upcoming year, 
independent gems which we never we we never thought we'd love coming up uh coming out coming out we've already seen all this good stuff but until then john we are stuck with the films we have in 2023 for better or worse and we're going to talk about one tonight for better or worse i do not know what john thinks about this film we are not going to be releasing a spoiler episode for this film just as a heads up we usually do a spoiler mini-sode in a few days we're not doing that because tonight's film is however loosely based on a historical figure everything in this film mainly you know all the true stuff happened it's out there in the public domain because tonight we are going to be talking about ridley scott's napoleon Yes, tonight we are talking about the biopic of the French leader Napoleon Bonaparte, directed by Ridley Scott and written by David Scarper of, uh, I think, recently All the Money in the World fame. And the film uh, stars uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon Bonaparte, Vanessa Kirby as his uh, wife and empress, Josephine Bonaparte, uh, the excellent Taha Rahim as Paul Barris, Rupert Everett as the Duke of Wellington, uh, Ben Miles as uh, Colancourt, and many, many other people that IMDb has not done me any favours with in terms of their casting as usual. It's all over the place there, but there are some uh, very, very good uh, character actors throughout this film. But Wacken Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby are your two main players in this film. And the synopsis for this film reads, an epic that details the chequered rise and fall of French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte and his relentless journey to power through the prism of his addictive, volatile relationship with his wife, Josephine. So Ridley Scott has... Uh, Sir Ridley Scott is one of the... is a legend, is a store of uh, modern cinema, 85 years old, still going. He's been given the reins to this by Apple TV. Big budget. What are people thinking about it? Surprisingly, even on Rotten Tomatoes, as of recording, 61% critic score on rt and a 60 percent audience score we don't often see such uh the same similar scores sorry on rt between critics and audience certainly now in today's fast food world measure score 64 imdb user score 6.7 out of 10 letterbox 3.2 out of 5 do the maths double that six out of 10 we are looking at pretty much six to six and a half out of ten across the board with critics and the uh audience scores if you want to see this film, you can watch it in theatres and it will be coming to Apple TV very soon with a four hour director's cut. This yeah. film is what, two hours and just, just 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 north of two and a half hours long, um, slightly more. But we've got a director's cut of four hours coming out and there in itself lies a problem with the film. But before we get into the film, John, uh, I know you're a teacher, you're a teacher of film. But what's your knowledge of Napoleon Bonaparte? What's your working knowledge of him? Well, I have seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, <laughs> and that was probably what I knew most about him, which is that he's an angry it. short guy. And I knew he was a French ruler. I, I know very little of world history. As much as I, I was a good student um, in high mm -hmm. school and whatnot, but I, I never really enjoyed history class. I, and it was mostly... I'm going to, I'm going to say this as a teacher. It was the teachers. Um, it was very <laughs> much read this chapter, memorize oh, yeah, these no. dates. And I don't care about dates. Uh, in fact, I have a hard time kind of contextualizing dates because time is so, I mean, I was just talking about how this year feels both fast and short at the same time. Right. Or like, sorry, fast and slow at the same time. Um, 
long and short uh, as it feels like it's flown by and also feels like it was forever ago. And that's how, when I try to like justify when, did, when could all of these things have happened? I have a hard time like really placing them in like, mm-hmm. I guess chronological order in my brain. Like it's a hard sell. And so my knowledge of not just Napoleon, but like the French revolution leading up to Napoleon real bad. And I didn't know how bad until watching this movie. And I'm also watching this knowing it's not meant to be a historically accurate film. At least I, you know, it's very obvious to me at certain points in this movie, it's not going for complete accuracy, right? This is a commentary on a period of, of French history. I've really got to know a lot more about American history through cinema over the last five years. Like it's something I've really uh, found myself intrigued by. And that's what this movie has done for me as well. It's like, I feel like I want to know more. And I f- now, especially because I understand what, how to learn history in a way that is meaningful to me is understanding context, right? Like yeah. what was going on? What led to these things? Why did these people do these things? What motivated them? What were they like? Why did they do the things they did? And that is much more compelling because those are the stories when they did it is far less important to me. Like I, I will get the when in terms of context, like it, it and cause and effect. This had to happen for this to happen. Marie Antoinette's uh, being sent to the guillotine at the beginning of this film, right. Gives context that I needed to kind of get the flow of like the leadership and what was going on in France. Yeah, not not a lot. Uh, definitely not a historian by any means of Napoleon. Obviously, a lot of people have heard the phrase like a Napoleon complex or a little man complex, which I think is a misnomer because I understand he's not actually that short. No. Yeah, but th- that is, uh, I think, more he had he had an inferiority complex, I think, is what we really mean when we say that now. Um, and I think this movie showcases that quite a bit, or at least, you know, from Ridley Scott's perspective. And it is important to remember, no matter Anytime we're looking back and we're talking about history, it's going to be shaped by the storytellers. And so if the person telling the story is an admirer of Napoleon or a detractor of Napoleon, Mm -hmm. we'll severely distort the information that we're getting um, to some degree, you know, and this particular film, I definitely think has a point of view. Uh, So, and I know Scott didn't write it, but I think Scott obviously jumped on board with the script because he, he shared the point of view of the script. But uh, you, on the other hand, you are not far from France. Uh, what is your knowledge no. of Mr. Napoleon? Um, I know a bit about him from history. I've said to you as well, off uh, my, my family have a great interest, my dad at least, and my uncle, a great interest in the Napoleonic era and the French Revolution and the Hundred Day War, uh, which uh, and everything that led up to the crucial Battle of Waterloo, which we see in this film, of course. Um, so over the years I've picked up some knowledge and I've watched some documentaries and I know, I know enough to be able to watch the film and think, well, that doesn't sound right. or that didn't happen. Or I know that isn't correct. Um, and I find the character or the man, should I say interesting. And I don't mean that in a, wow, I really reverential way, but a lot of time with these historical figures, there's a myth placed around them about what they did and what they didn't do and how great their actions were or not. But with Napoleon, his you know his, uh, his legacy is fairly far-reaching in terms of what he did for France and for Europe, and in reality for the world as well. And and without meaning to you know blow the guy's trumpet, uh, you know there's a lot of things which were brought in which are still being used now, with certain lots of laws and codes which stem directly from Bonaparte, which is I find that so very interesting. So I was excited, really, really excited to know that there was a a biopic coming out about. 
a a titan of history, like a, a genuine historical kind of giant figure. And hearing Ridley Scott was doing it filled me with some excitement because we, as we've all seen, when Ridley Scott is on his A game and nails it, he, he, you know, give give me a gladiator esque type film or level film, you know, that kind of quality. And you know, we we are we are laughing. The the problem with this film is John though it's two hours and thirty five forty minutes long, and it cannot it does not even kind of scrape the surface of Napoleon's story less so than just delivering a montage of scenes stitched together which show things that he did leading up to Battle of Waterloo. That's pretty much what it is, and it's it is framed through the prism of his relationship, which is an interesting way of doing it. Something about and I know we're, we're going to talk about biopic. This is a biopic heavy episode, and what I like from a biopic is do I want sometimes do I want a straight up you know, Wikipedia retelling sometimes because sometimes a story is that interesting that actually just sticks to the facts and you've got a great story. Other times you may need to embellish it for the sake of well, a film for entertainment for the wider audience. And they've done that here by not just saying here's Napoleon's rise to power. It's let's, frame it now with his relationship which is extremely volatile which is extremely tragic as well in the way that it's done with uh with josephine played but played wonderfully by vanessa kirby i'd heard that vanessa kirby was the kind of heart and soul of this film the linchpin and i agree with that i think she is very very good she has this sort of seething um fury going underneath her character but also there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of repression there as well and the film actually does probably does more for the character than reality did but uh, for the for the for the uh for the person sorry not the character than the 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 film than real life is sorry but i think she's great um as the titular character whacking phoenix i mean this is i thought this was pretty much as whacking phoenix in a hat for the whole film he's he's very good in it he's very good at showing that anger and showing those insecurities which throughout the film napoleon goes at great lengths to say i don't i don't have any insecurities like moments after a scene where he's having a, a fit of jealousy and uh, and having his wife confess that sh- she needs him and she's the only thing in his world and then it's played for laughs you know you know i don't have any insecurities he's very good at that and he's very good at conveying a lot without saying anything because the film isn't entirely dialogue heavy and when it is it isn't always good dialogue i'll say that now for me um but i think he's good in this i i can't imagine he's going to be tearing down any doors at the awards season um he's 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 good in it i just wish that it wouldn't have been a bigger box office draw john and i will i know this i know people don't always agree with this but i do kind of wish they'd just gone and got some really talented french actors and actresses of which there are many to do this because there are times i'm like right who's the english who are the prussians and who are the french because they're all speaking mm. english who's who and if you don't know the, you know, the, the, if you if you can't tell by the names or even the uniforms, you'd have to have an. You need to kind of look at the idiosyncrasies in the uniform. It could possibly be a bit confusing as to who's who and what's going on. Yeah. Some of that is down to the horrific editing at times because this film is four yeah. hours long and it is chopped down. I now I get it now. I wanted I wanted to come into this film and unanimously love it, and I didn't. I liked it. I liked the film because the oddities in the tone which i think i know you're going to address even though i couldn't quite wrap my head around what the hell was they were playing doing with the tone because it's so strange there are moments in it which 
kind of kept me engaged as to okay, where, what are we go, what are we going to do next? I know where we're going, but how are we going to get there? Um, so I, I I I definitely didn't love this film. The six out of tens it's getting across the board. I may even go a little bit lower and say five because I think it's I think for me it's straight down the middle. Some's good, yeah. some of it isn't good, but there's some cack lines in it there are some very stark sex scenes which are played for laughs but they're just completely played for laughs oh yeah exactly and you've got moments of napoleon kind of pouting and whining for sex and i'm, I'm thinking what the hell is going on and the the tone of this is wild there is some contemporary contemporary commentary going on here but you know there are to address the elephant in a room in terms of the idea that this is wholly inaccurate it really isn't having seen it now the ina- every inaccuracy is laced with the truth. It's, just, it's embellished. Everything in this film, the major moments all happened apart from one specific one, which involves the the ending of nuptials and a and a an assault. Shall we say that never happened? But you know the the battles of this, the Battle of Austerlitz, that happened. Napoleon's greatest victory happened. Didn't happen like it did in the film with the sheets of ice. Never happened. The Battle of oh. Egypt happened, but a certain moment involving the pyramids never happened. And, and all the other small battles, the battle of Moscow happened. Yeah. And the battle of Waterloo at the end happened, but there are moments in it, which are, which are massively embellished for the film where Napoleon never once rode into war. That, that, that's that for start. He never once. Oh. So whilst, whilst this film is playing up the idea that Napoleon was apparently a bit of a dummy, they also are making him out to be a little bit brave and a bit of a hero at the end. But there are moments at the end where they're also showing this guy is a bit of a hero and he's a great warrior. Now, he was one of the greatest military leaders of the time, or probably of all time. But the things that they're showing him do in this film aren't accurate. And that also includes meetings with uh, very high-ranking rivals in the Napoleonic War, shall we say, towards the end. It, but it's a movie. I get it. You know, they, they put these things in to better help the audience understand why... Uh, the the finale of the film has to happen, even though it's based on reality. I just wish the Battle of Waterloo was a little bit better, uh, showcased better. Because before I go on too long, you know, Napoleon was feared. You know, he was he was a real leader, and this film does not show that. It wants us to believe that this guy is a fearless leader, a true warrior, and a military genius. We don't see any of that in this film, but I believe that the 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 ambition or the intention was to actually do that. For example, at Waterloo, Napoleon was a hair's breadth away from winning the Battle of Waterloo, which would have changed history without any hyperbole until the Prussians turned up, which they do, and helped to save the day. I wish they'd shown more of that. Like shown, You can show him be a dum-dum in behind closed doors, but we never really see a moment where we're like, yeah, okay, I understand now why this guy demanded respect, commanded respect, because that is the truth. You may not have to like the guy, as Ridley Scott may or may not do, but I do wish there was a little bit more there. So any, so the kind of finale felt like it had a bit more weight. I don't think the film had anywhere near enough emotion in JB. There wasn't enough insight. There wasn't enough resonance. It was very surface level. It was scene by scene by scene, big action scene, which were well shot. Cinematography, not so much. It's just a hodgepodge of moments, JB, poorly stitched together. I know there's a director's cut, but the version that's going to yeah. be critiqued and it's, and it's going to be viewed first and by the masses is the theatrical and it is nowhere near good enough for a, a, a historical figure of this stature. Again, not to not to kind of pour reverence on, on, on the guy, but 
you know, as a li- mo- historical figure, just I mean, the f- just just released a four hour film on Apple TV and have that be the film rather than theatrical. But they well, want to make their money. I get it. But what did you I think will, though, I- JB? I wasn't impressed by it, but I, I liked it enough. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So, you already mentioned uh i was like maybe 30 40 minutes in i'm really going what what is the tone like i don't know what is being said here and it wasn't until the first sex scene that i was like oh is this a comedy and uh because he looks like a chihuahua humping a leg like that's the manner is and they're fully clothed these are they're every sex scene in the film is fully clothed but he is pumping away at a speed in which uh, is is there's no way to describe except for comedic and the the look on his face and even I think after the very first time him and uh, Jacqueline right did I say that right uh, Josephine Josephine I got it's in the, it's a J he he says something like uh with love making that good it's there's no question you're pregnant or something like it's like I mean they are seconds done and he's like already bragging and that that the way in which he does that is important to understanding I think Ridley Scott's tone and I'm going to quote unquote spoil the very last thing we see before we get to credits is a title card with uh the death tolls of every battle that napoleon led which to me seems to imply like we act like he's this great leader but look at all the lives that were lost under his command he it, it seems to say he threw dedicated french soldiers who apparently revered him uh based on the scene where he returns from the first exile and they welcome him back, right? And of course, I mean, he was put to power. It's not like he was just... Anytime anyone takes power, there has to be some reverence or fear, right? Like, there has to be something to get people to give this man the authority in which he got. So, that title card and, the, and that information, I think he even, like, points out, like, it's very clear it's a negative thing that we're seeing on the screen. It's not meant to be like, look at all the lives he he's, he lost, it's like, look at all the lives he lost. Why do we Why do we hold this man in high regard? That seems to be what this movie is saying to me. And then again, when you look through all those comedic tones, and I, I went to Letterboxd and Ehrlich, uh, who I reference quite often, his he also is like uh, surprised that this was a comedy. I'm like, okay, it's not just me reading this as a comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is clearly mocking Napoleon. And as I sat uh, over the last week thinking about this film... Um, cause I saw it, uh, the Tuesday night, cause it came out on a Wednesday, the unusual Wednesday Thanksgiving weekend release. It became more and more apparent that this is a, a commentary on the last eight years of, of us government. Um, 
we had a leader who made bold declarations uh, that are mostly not possible to happen in the way in which he declared them. Um, he would say he was the best at things. He was the greatest. He was the, you know, without any evidence to support any of those claims. And one got power, lost power, although some claimed he never really lost power, and is on the verge of regaining that same power again, despite evidence to the contrary to the the things that he claims. There's no way that's not how this movie should be reading, right? Like, uh, to me, when I look at it from that way, even with, I will concede real fast, as far as a film goes, tons of editing problems. This movie is choppy scenes don't make sense together. It, it's literally this and then this and then this. There's nothing that, like, leads one scene to the next. Uh, you jump around a lot. There are scenes that are like, wh why would they film that? Like, that was a waste of time. It's like it literally cuts to Napoleon walking with the guys like, I'll be there. And then done. Scene over. It's like, why were we? How expensive was that shot? But there's probably a 10 minute version of that scene. And to be fair, of all of our auteur filmmakers who've been working for over 40 years, Scott is the one who always tinkers, right? There is a director's cut for almost every one of his movies. Yeah. There are three definitive cuts for Blade Runner. We have the Kingdom of Heaven controversy. I've never seen mm -hmm. the movie, but my understanding is the director's cut director's significantly different movie, right? And so we're going to get that here uh, on the maybe the largest scale of that. But this was the worst version of it because this wasn't like this is our theatrical cut and it's a well put together film. This is like two and a half hours of that feels unfinished and yet also feels unwieldy. Like it's it's long. And it, it, for a big chunk of this movie, I felt the length. I was like, oh, my God, this needs to hurry up. Partly because in the performance of Napoleon, he literally falls asleep in the middle of conversations multiple times in this movie. And it's like sleepy Joaquin. But that's what he's supposed to be doing because he's supposed to be a, a doof. Like, you know, like, I don't think Ridley thinks he's a good military leader. I think Ridley is portraying that he claimed to be a good military leader and things happened. But how much was he really responsible? And it just, you know what I'm saying? Like, the way you describe Napoleon is the way I think most people believe, right? That he was this great leader. He did do that. But Ridley seems to be painting another picture. What if he was just a blowhard who yeah, convinced enough people that he was good? And in some ways, I think he's even claiming in some areas he was a scapegoat, right? Like if we make him the leader, but we rule from behind the scenes. And there's evidence of that, especially him being exiled, right? It, it's it's an interesting take. And that's I, I did find the tone... Uh, I wish I could say it was like a comedy where I was like laughing. Most of the time I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I found my uh, engagement with the, the subtext uh, to be more compelling than the film itself. But I also, I have to admit those battle scenes are intense. Like there is some like cannonballs ripping heads off that I was just like, you know, gut punched while I was watching. I was like, Oh, Holy crap. I mean, there's, uh, I I didn't watch the credits to be uh, if I'm being honest because I assume there was no post credit scene. <laughs> the Napoleon. I, I, ass I assume somewhere at the end of uh, the credits there was no horses were harmed in the making of this movie because I have holy this cow! 
you know, we, oh. the, the on-running joke that John isn't the biggest fan of horses in film. I knew he. I knew that during certain moments of this film, John was up whooping, throwing his no, popcorn. No, I was not. <laughs> I, it, I, while I may not enjoy a movie centered around a horse, I, uh, I have no <laughs> ill will towards horses, and so you know that scene. Not like this. Uh, I, I felt. I, I would say empathy for the horse. I was like, oh my god, that is brutal. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but even and then again, he does the weird thing with the horse afterwards, right? Like he walks up and like digs the cannonball out um, for mother. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like, so it's like those scenes are just like so weird. And um, and then, of course, if you to do justice, because this is not a journeyman filmmaker, this is a filmmaker who, while his work, I think, is uh, up and down. Right. They, there are extreme highs. Some of our greatest movies ever came from Ridley Scott. I, and I big big huge gigantic fan of alien i think alien is the superior alien film i do put it over cameron's aliens i think aliens is more fun but i think alien is a masterpiece i think everything about that movie is incredible and i i like blade runner i like blade runner 2049 more if i'm being honest but uh i think but you know and uh and gladiator which i haven't seen since I saw it twice in theaters when it came out. It's like, I, I've not rewatched it since then. I don't think, I think I've seen like scenes or whatnot, but Scott's obviously a brilliant filmmaker. He often though, and Ehrlich mentions this in his, uh, I only read the part of the review that's on letterbox, but nevertheless, um, yeah, this is kind of his trademark, right? He takes men in power, um, men who are ruling the, the working class who, lord over us and he criticizes it i mean think of alien we have uh whalen oh what is this yutani. yeah okay i was like i was pulling it but i was like that sounds wrong whalen yutani uh obviously the big capitalist thing and it's the emperor in gladiator right like who's also yeah. played by joaquin phoenix but nevertheless um you know we're kind of mocking that and how they use us for entertainment how they use us he is he's i don't know if he is a working class like person because he's he's been a filmmaker for 40 years but he definitely seems to sympathize with the working man right like and and criticizes those in charge and so napoleon was his i feel and again i don't i actually don't know what ridley scott's politics are in in modern u.s politics but it definitely feels like his uh, his perspective is clear if i'm correct in the reading of those parallels and if i'm not Okay, but it it's there's definitely some parallels uh in the in the presentation of this version of Napoleon. And you can flip that as well quite easily. Put a wonderful wonderful point by the way, and you can also flip it and say Ridley Scott throughout his career has probably given us some of the strongest female characters in film. You oh, got yeah. obviously Ripley, Th- uh, Thelma and Louise, and then you've got Kingdom oh, yeah. of Heaven you mentioned, The Martian, uh what's her name, Lucilla from Gladiator. She's, you know, she's not just uh, screaming for the guy. She's, she's, she's tough throughout. And the GI Jane. There's so many of his characters you could easily look at and think, you know what? These are so well written and just great characters in their own right. So there is that, that flip side there, which I think is very interesting. And Ridley, I think he's known for that. To be honest, it's not. That's clearly not my kind of hot take there. But it's just interesting that you mentioned, obviously, that he can kind of take these men in power and bring them down a few notches. Um, he's going to cut the men bigly and he's going to raise the female characters bigly as another politician said once. So I think that's an interesting point to make and a astute observation as well. It's, are you going to watch the four hour cut, John? I don't know, dude. Um, I, I might wait and hear 
other people's take on it because that's a that's a big investment for something I already was barely intrigued by. Like again, it, the battle at the end, the Waterloo battle especially, I think really like I was I was wrapped that whole time, just like sitting up and like watching, and I was. I was like, man, it's hard to not walk out of this on a on a positive, right? And also because I'm like, I'm processing what I just watched because I'm like, what? I really went in thinking this was going to be like, look how great Napoleon was, and I walked out going, I don't think Ridley Scott thinks he's great at all. Like, I think he thinks he's a a liar and a mm-hmm. piece of crap. And uh, that was not the what I expected when I went into this. Partly because most of the time, if you're going to make a biopic, you're making it about someone you look up to or admire or think people need yes. to be more aware of. And it's interesting to have a biopic made with the opposite intention. It's like, I want people to understand how awful this guy was. And it's like, oh, and I'm, it's not the first one to do that, but it's definitely not the the norm, I don't think. So, no, it's just uh, not the best film to do that, I think. Because, like you, I thought they were going to, I thought it was going to be this. Because you asked me off air, like, what do you think the tone's going to be? And I said something along the lines of, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a pretty stoic, dramatic biopic you know they're going to be you know go stick to the source material and jb is like oh interesting good luck watching that then <laughs> I, I was i was like i was like, the, the, the like do i tell there. him yeah. do i tell yeah. him it's a comedy <laughs> and it's because of the conception that we have that you know in you know in, in you know there are to, to to some of the french people or to historians you know napoleon was a was a great leader of men and his stand at the battle of waterloo was almost seen as like uh going down in a blaze of glory to use a Bon Jovi lyric almost, but that kind of like defi- defiance against the ear of one last stand. He came back from exile once he had one last doomed attempt to, to stick it to the man and then ended up back in exile again on St. Helena. And I thought it was going to be about that. And the, uh, it, but when I, when I saw the poster, the mat, this guy rose from nothing and ended up with everything. The guy, the guy came from a mildly wealthy family and he didn't, end up with everything uh i know it's all kind of like sexy talk for the trailer but or the poster but probably should have got it from the tone of the trailer that's that's what really should have shown me seeing napoleon riding into battle or the battle of waterloo on horseback that should have been the moment where i would have thought i think there's gonna be some liberties and i don't mind and again i'm not gonna again not gonna labor this point i don't mind liberties being taken in a in a bar not what not at all if it serves a story it's not that this character wasn't this this person wasn't the person to do it because he didn't do what you want i've no issue with them making napoleon a bit of a dummy it's just i don't know i think i think i even like some of the marketing stills push this is going to be this like proper character study of this uh man who's been held up in such high esteem but was he the guy we all think he is and instead they went which which they've done but with this weird almost slapstick tone at times and comic comic type tone which is at odds with the very serious nature of certain things that happen and it's all over the place. I really, really wish this had been a lot better than it was. And there's I'm not going to lie, John, I, for, for Sir Ridley Scott, I, there is no reason this film is as mediocre as this is. There, there should be no reason. Director's cut, withstanding, notwithstanding, that isn't interesting to me, you know, because this is the film that people are seeing. If you don't like this film, you're certainly you're not going to go and watch a four hour cut on the streaming that you know that's that's done with the four hour cut could be incredible unfortunately this is what we are left with this is going to be the the release of the film uh, i know steven spielberg is doing a uh he's producing i think or oh, he's got a huge hand in a napoleon i think a five-part series coming up soon so oh. interested to see how that plays out against this i don't know who's uh what uh tv studio is with or who's distributing it 
but it, it's it's happening. I think it might be next year or maybe the year after. I'm so interested now to see how Spielberg t- um, has a look at Napoleon because we know he's obviously tackled huge figures before in Lincoln and uh, and then historical stories in Munich and Schindler's List, of course. So I'm um, so I'm really interested to see what uh, approach he takes, but. I wish this film was better, John. For you, the final word from you, then, you know, what was your actual like thought on it? I, I, I liked it begrudgingly, but certainly didn't love it. You know, how would you describe your um, feeling? I would say three out of five, if that yeah. keeps it simple. Um, like you said, down the middle. Uh, every time I would, I would start to fall like out of the movie, it would do something to bring me back in. Um, very much like Napoleon, just sleeping my way through it. Like, I'm just like, uh, oh, wait, what's happening? Uh, oh, look. Oh, cannon fodder. You know, like, um, Ooh, yeah, it, it was it was definitely not the most enjoyable. But also, like, I can't I'm not going to sit here and say it's it's terrible. It's flawed. There are flaws that I think are like glaring where you're just like, wow. The, I, I think someone who maybe doesn't watch movies that often would be like, what's with the pacing or the editing of these early, especially like the first. 45 minutes it feels super choppy Jesus, um, yeah. and uh it does slow down i think when the battles get there but like those moments where you can just tell they just were like we got to trim two hours so let's just start cutting you know um that's, that's what it feels like and you don't usually you don't usually say that right like you don't usually are like i can see where there are clearly moments just dropped from the the structure of this movie that I expect to have like 10 minute sequences when we, when we get the four hour cut. And that's, I think the biggest problem, like most of the director's cuts don't feel like that. You, you see it and you're like, Oh, this scene adds something, especially a good director's cut. The scenes that are put back in feel additional, but the original movie still felt complete. This movie doesn't feel complete in major sections of the movie. And that's a huge problem. And yet because he is a competent filmmaker and especially shows in those battle sequences, because there's some cool cinematography in some of those battle sequences. You do get pulled in, I think to those moments. Um, th- again, it's, it, it loses you. So it's, it's, it's middling at the most uh, like aggressive way. It could be middling, you know? Yep. Yep. No, a hundred percent with that. It's just, it, it's just there. And you know, it, it's a shame. So uh, that is going to be our Napoleon review. Like we said, we're not doing a spoiler minisode because it's based on a true story, uh, inaccuracies aside. So we're not going to be doing that. We're skipping it this week. Maybe we'll do one for next week's episode. We'll tell you what that is at the end of the show. So now let's move on to our next segment, Concessions of a Cinephile. And here, for those who are unaware of our new segment, we now have a movie-motivated conversation, as we will do on the BAMP. Uh, and it's, and it could be anything which we want. Basically, it could be related to the theme or genre of the film we've just spoken about. We might talk some headlines. We might do some best of lists, some top five lists, trailer talk, anything really. It's water cooler talk, concessions of a cinephile. And this week we are we're looking at biopics. We've just been speaking about uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, and we are looking at what is a biopic, and then we're going to give some of our favourite biopics and they may not be considered the the best out there like traditionally they're our favorite ones but what is what is a biopic studio binder uh describes a biopic as a movie that dramatizes the life of a real non-fictional individual short for biographical motion picture a biopic can cover in a person's entire life or one specific moment in their history 
Topics for biopics, that rhymes, are nearly endless, with famous figures from history, along with popular celebrities of late, being covered. So yeah, it's specifically there, it doesn't just have to be somebody's whole life, it can be a moment in time. Though some biopics, similarly to Napoleon, do try to cram as much as they can in when maybe the focus is in the wrong place. But Studio Binder, I know you're a fan of that, of, of them, and you've used their yeah. resources before, haven't you, John? a lot to teach um i and i've this I, I didn't realize this was a relatively new article talking about biopics and this year's had a, a bunch of biopics but biopics have been a pretty big staple in film forever but a le- i would say the last 20 years especially we've seen like an uptick and they have gotten uh there's a lot of paint by numbers biopics that you you mentioned like the wikipedia list where it does feel like we're just reading off their bullet points and that's how the movie plays out it's like here's one here's one here's one here's one here's one and i have definitely found a bigger connection to the biopics that look to give us a sense of who the person was rather than give us a list a laundry list of achievements right like where you watch it you might only see one little tiny sliver of their their life but you understand who they were based on that sliver, you know, and those biopics are so much more fun to watch and they can be so much more innovative. And uh, I think even impactful because you're not trying to like, like pat them on the back for all the things they did. You're just trying to really get to understand them, to be in their, their shoes, to be next to them, to be, uh, in the room where it happened for a moment, you know, even if it's not exactly how it happened, you get a sense of who they were or who they are in the, in the rare cases that the person's still alive. Most of these biopics are uh, post-mortem, right? Like they, they happen after the fact. Um, but we've, we've seen an uptick with biopics happening with the people still very much alive. And we're about to, I, I mean, they've said, uh, uh, Darren Aronofsky is making one on Elon Musk based on the, the, the book, um, which what a combination. Uh, so yeah, um, I'm not going to read this other thing from studio binder, but we'll include a link to the article. Uh, studio binder is also a 20 minute video that is really worth watching. Uh, and it's super up to date. I mean, there's, they're referencing movies from this year in their, their, uh, instructional video about biopics, including Nyad, um, which is an interesting biopic, but, uh, we thought we would, uh, talk about some of our favorites, um, on today's episode. Yes, and just on that as well, I mean, we're seeing a lot of our biopics in recent years because they're quite good at garnering awards um, season yeah. hype. If you if you, you look at some of the classic biopics of old, but certainly more so in recent years, we've seen biopics of very famous people just this year. We've had Oppenheimer. We've had, uh, yeah. I think it was last year, we had Marilyn Monroe in in Blonde, uh, the, the Tick, 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 Boom, which was, oh, uh, so I can't good. guy's name now, but that was so the, damn good. He wrote Rent. Yeah, the guy who wrote Rent, that guy. Um, and we've had one of Diana, uh, Gucci, Michael we've Jordan. We've had a couple of Dianas, Elvis. You know, I'm not going to go through all of them, but we're suddenly seeing a, a massive uptick now because the studios know that you know it, it's almost it's almost like an IP in and of itself. If you have a film about Elvis mm-hmm. Presley, you've already got a huge fan base or built-in audience yeah. to see this film. Yeah, and we've got Priscilla, which is coming out very very soon as well, which is getting um, awards buzz. But it's it can also be it's an easy stick to beat films with because they can also feel a little bit uh, manipulative at times or kind of low hanging fruit. But like John said, we've got five of our favourite biopics here, and again, just to preface this, 
this doesn't mean we're saying that yeah. these are better than the you know the established greatest biopics of all time these are the ones that we go to we gravitate to and they work with us work for us I, um do you want to alternate I, john or, or go through the list yeah i think we should alternate i will also say real fast though um yeah, yeah. I didn't include biopics that were not based on real people because while they are following the formula, uh, just examples, uh, uh, walk hard, the legend of Dewey Cox or something like that. Uh, I don't think it's the legend of Dewey Cox. It's Dewey Cox something. Sorry, Dewey Cox. Um, pop star, never stop, stop it. Never stop. Never stop it. Never Never stop. Never stop. I forgot what it's called, but it's, uh, it's mocking the Justin Bieber. Never, never say never, uh, like musical biopic. Um, and there's one more that I, now I'm going to draw a blank of what it was. There's like a, a fictional character being uh, given a biography. But I mean, because in theory, you could argue that any movie is a biopic then, right? Like if every character, because we're, we're learning about characters in every story for the most part. It has to me for it to be a biopic. It needs to be a biography on a person with Dewey Cox. It is clearly a parody and they really do go out of the way to give you the birth to death uh, type story. Um, but it's 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 clear when the the those satires are riffing on the genre of biopic because it really is a genre at this point. There is an established <laughs> style. Um, but the one for me that really popped uh, right away when I was looking at this list is David Fincher's The Social Network. Um, and a large Damn part man. of that is owed to Aaron Sorkin's script, right? Like uh, everything about that movie really sticks. It's it's so watchable. The the witty back and forth dialogue and uh, the the performances, while unfortunately Army Hammer um, is a part of it, yeah, you get Andrew Garfield and and uh, wow, Jesse Eisenberg. Wow, that just dropped. I could not pull that name to save my life. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, um, Luther, man. Yeah, uh, yes, the, the one he'll Ugh. always be known for. Um, <laughs> I I love this film. Every I I mocked this film when it was coming out because I'm like, who wants to see the Facebook movie? It's so great. I don't know so if you're. St- yeah, if you're still sitting out there going, oh, who wants to do Facebook? You you want to. Trust me, it's incredible um, the, with that freaking score on top of it. But uh, the structure of how, in fact, that's going to be for the most part, all of my picks are kind of uniquely structured. Um, this movie is told through court cases. Uh, and it, you would think, oh, there's multiple court cases. Yes, there is. And that's one of the things that makes it so interesting is uh, all of the flashbacks, all of the, the biography type information we're getting is through deposition. And it is a really interesting way to frame everything um, because you are hearing multiple sides. You're hearing it from one person telling their side and one person saying the other side. And uh, ultimately it is Zuckerberg's story. But you are learning about Eduardo and you're learning about uh, Sean Parker, Justin Timberlake. I forgot to mention Timberlake's incredible in this movie, uh, basically just being Timberlake. But that's what Fincher is best at casting. Um, I, I really enjoy this film. And I think it, it's such a, a unique entry into the biopic genre because it isn't birth to death. They're, they're, they're interested with just one moment, really, in Zuckerberg's uh, life. So yeah spoiler alert i was going to put the social network on my list because it is so damn good but for the interest of um highlighting another film or so i i haven't but it it would make my top five i believe um my for number five i've gone for a recent one uh because i thought this was so damn fun uh fighting with my family the Stephen merchant film about uh page the wwe wrestler who hails from Norwich in England, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what hundred miles north of where I am now, maybe just less on the east of England. Um, because wrestling films, wrestling is again, as a genre, which it, it can work like a film, like the wrestler, which is 
pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are films in the genre which aren't good. And Stephen Merchant has a very specific style of comedy which will work for some and will not work for others. Florence Pugh is leading this, which is, all, which is always a win for me. I think she is fabulous. And again, it's go, looking at the cast, Little Lena Heady, Nick Frost, Jack Loudon, Vince Vaughn, uh, The Rock comes in. This could have easily just been a a by numbers rise from the you know rags to riches if you will from le- leisure centre wrestling events in the UK up until becoming the women's champion uh, in in WWE. But the film centres on a real emotional core. The film has family in the title. Vin Diesel loves it, and they really do focus on the family. the 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 heart and soul of this film is is, is a love and emotion. And we do get some cool wrestling moments and we get some cool look behind the scenes of pro wrestling. But I just really like the journey that they depict Paige going through. I think Florence Pooh's very good. I think the comedy works and I think the heart is there. And it's uh, it, it's a biopic, biopic of somebody who is so like compared to maybe some of the other people on our list, it's probably not somebody that many people know outside of maybe the wrestling world or kind of major pop culture um circles i i haven't followed wrestling for a long time but i was aware of who page was just from social media but i didn't know anything about page i didn't even know she's english yeah until a few years uh, after I actually knowing who she was uh, amongst some of the other things um so i think this film does a really good job of highlight of bringing a very interesting story to the fore about somebody who maybe isn't you know front and center like some of the other people in this list uh so yeah fighting with my family was a surprise hit for me but three or four years ago uh, that's my number well, five, John. Uh, this one, I, I, I'm actually, it's really jumped up for me, uh, especially in recent years. But uh, Julie and Julia, um, again, uh, unconventional because it's two uh, biopics in one. Because you're you're getting the history lesson of Julia Childs uh, through Julie, the writer uh, played by Amy Adams in the movie, is exploring through her cookbook, right? She's making this connection with this person. She never met. Uh, Julia Childs was alive when she was doing this, but uh, does not get to meet um, uh, Meryl Streep, obviously playing Julia Childs, which I didn't say, but important to note. Uh, And in recent years, the actual real lady, Julie uh, has passed away um, very young. Uh, I think, I think last year she died. And Uh, it was, it was last year the biopic uh, element of it, I found really compelling. Um, truth be told, uh, Julie's story is part of why I started Burke reviews. My thought was like, I'll, I'll do a blog. And I'll track instead of, you know, going through someone's cookbook, I'm going to watch the movies that I've been neglecting to watch my whole life. Uh, started off with the Godfather because I had never really bothered to sit through it. Cause it's quote unquote, I didn't like mob movies uh, <laughs> that has changed, but nevertheless, it's it's a movie again that it's we kind of got back and forth we are introduced to julia child's life through a recipe in the cookbook and we jump over and we come back and we see the parallels between the two ladies lives and uh stanley tucci's playing julia child's husband and he's incredible as always yeah it's just uh it's just a really well-made story it's a fun way to tell a biopic um it's not it, both are, are, you know, slice of life. We're not, we're not getting their whole life, uh, birth mm-hmm. to death style. We're getting this fragment of this, how this cookbook affects Julia, uh, Julie's life is, is powerful. And I really, I really appreciate this movie. I think it's a lot of, I think it's funny. I think it's really entertaining. I showed it, uh, to a yearbook class last year, um, after we finished the yearbook and they were all kind of like, Oh, whatever. And then, 
because uh, I like to show journalists movies to, to the yearbooks uh, after we finish the yearbook. And by the end of it, they were like, I'm so glad you showed us this movie because it's Meryl Streep and Amy Adams, two terrifically talented actresses. That's incredible. And Stanley Tucci on the other side as well. What a powerhouse cast, man. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't seen this film and I'd very much like to watch. I I know you've you've mentioned it before on the show because I remember you saying it was an inspiration for you starting the the blog and the site which became uh, Burke Reviews. Uh, But I still haven't seen this film. Uh, And now I must um, find out. I think it's on... I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. Um, it's on one of these streaming services over in the UK. I know that for sure. Yeah, it's on one of them. I can see it free of charge. Fantastic. Uh, I will give this check this one out because uh, if I just read the synopsis, I'd probably think, yeah, I, I don't know if that's for me or not. But what I love is what you've just said. And I, I thought about it during it when you mentioned The Godfather. I love it when you watch a film, specifically a film, where you go into it with a preconception that this isn't for me. It's not aimed at me. This isn't my thing or it's not going to affect me and then it just gets you i love love mm-hmm. love that so many times we've done films on this show or astrology or whatever movie astrology our, our sister show where we'll watch something and think oh, i don't know about this it turns out it's great and it's that really nice revelatory feeling of having a new kind of film to add to the pantheon of uh diamonds that we've uncovered so i hope i hope i hope i love this film when i watch it but everything you said makes me think i'm going to Good shout though. Number four, my number four is. Uh, I couldn't. T- I couldn't decide, John. So I'm not going to go. I'm that. not going to go wild about both of them because there's two of them. But I got a joint number four because I'm a cheat. And they're, again, they're, they're new films. The, the the my 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 list is top heavy of new films before maybe going back in time a bit. So I've gone for the founder, and I Tonya as my fourth film. The founder, John Lee Hancock. Uh, tells the story of Ray Kroc, played by Michael Keaton, who is a salesman, and he eventually meets the owners of this uh, small chain called McDonald's, and they're played by John Carroll Lynch and Nick Offerman, so damn good uh, together. And it, uh, and he he realizes that McDonald's can become more than it is, and in, and he changes the way that this family-run company is run at odds with the uh, the original owners uh intentions and it's it, it's this great story of business of this tycoon mogul coming in this how it affects his family business how they see it. it it surprised me how much i really really enjoyed the founder and again jb which it's a story about somebody who you know i'd never actually heard of ray Kroc. i didn't know the story of mcdonald's so i went into this again Similarly with things like Air and Blackberry this year, I think I just I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this because I don't really I, I, I've I've had Nike Airs and I've had a Blackberry. I don't care about what the, the the origins. Love those films. Same with this one because they imbue it with something more. It's not just how was McDonald's founded. It's the drama. They they found a story like we said. Sometimes you can just go on Wikipedia and just film a check mark of of moments because the story is that interesting for me, the founder is such an interesting story that I don't mind if it, if it is so factually correct because it's such a cool story. So interesting, such a, Oh, it's a moments in it where you want to grab Ray and just slap him about because of the things he does really, really enjoyed the founder. I do think it uh, went under the radar somewhat when it came out, it's on Netflix. It's about eight years, seven years old now. Wow. wow. Check it out if you haven't, but the founder really enjoyed that. I Tonya, well, I, I loved this film. Craig Gillespie, Margot Robbie was nominated for this. And it's a biopic of a living person. Uh, Tonya Harding, of course, the 
infamous speed skater who was quite handy with a metal pole. And I loved the way that they told this story. It's again something where, whereas Napoleon sets itself up to uh, we, we, for comedy and to to kind of take a different look at something. It, they didn't get the basics right. Whereas for me, I Tonya, it is um, it, it's based on versions of true events, whilst not me maybe entirely accurate. But the you know the bloodline is there. Uh, and it's told from Tonya's side of the story, uh, which is interesting, which I also thought was a very, was a choice, shall we say, because you'd, you'd think maybe they'd focus more on Nazi Kerrigan's story and that would be the biopic, but no, they've gone mm. for Tonya Harden. I don't think it's excellently uh, well made. I think the, the cast is great. Again, Margot Robbie, Alison Janey, Sebastian Stan, McKenna Grace is in this as well as the young Tonya Harden. I just think it's a really good sports uh, comedy film, biopic film about somebody who is, you know, best known to people for doing something bloody awful. Uh, really, really enjoys. And I couldn't separate the two, John. So bit of recency bias, but I'm going for those two. Uh, what's making your podium position in third? So, so the three, two and one are kind of tied really, because I, I think you could move these around, but um, if you know me, uh, you know, I'm a huge Mr. Rogers fan and, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is such an interesting biopic. We cast Tom Hanks to play Mr. Rogers. <laughs> uh, Mariel Heller is our director. Um, her other big biopic that I actually thought might be on your list was Can You Ever Forgive Me? Um, oh, actually, is. I haven't updated it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it, the biopic isn't actually like the main character isn't Mr. Rogers. We're following a fictional reporter who's based on a real reporter who, if you've uh, seen Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary, but the, our main character is Lloyd Vogel, played by Matthew Reese in this in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, who is a reporter who's given the assignment to do a, a biography on Mr. Rogers. And that's that's our entry point. We're following him. And it's based on a real article that was in Vanity Fair. Um, you can read the article. But she then frames the movie as if it's an episode of, uh, a, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so you get these surreal moments. She uses aspect ratio to help us understand when we're in the real world, and when we're in the show, uh, much like within the show, how we, when we go to the land of imagination, uh, Mr. Rogers is never seen there. Like it, it's so interestingly made. And yet you get a true sense of who Mr. Rogers was through the eyes of this reporter. Um, the reporter is a cynic. He's skeptical. He doesn't believe anybody could be this nice. And, that is what you get. And I, I think it works so well. Um, they integrate elements from the documentary and to the legend of Mr. Rogers into the film while also, you know, giving us this traditional narrative in a lot of ways. It's such a unique biopic and it's so powerful, especially again, if you are like me, uh, a fan um, of Mr. Rogers as a person, someone who I admire and aspire to be like in so many ways. Um, and I just think she captures the essence of Mr. Rogers so perfectly and makes a really fun and innovative film while doing it. Yeah. And like you said, having Tom Hanks play what America's uncle, America's granddad, or whatever you want to call him, uh, Mr. Rogers, like the nicest guy in the world is a match made in heaven, isn't it? In terms of casting, it, it, it almost seems too, too obvious and too good to be true, but they nailed the casting of that. And I know how much uh, you enjoy this film, JB. And I remember when it came out, I remember how excited you were and how I remember when you saw it. And I remember, I remember you talking so lovingly about it and it was lovely to hear because 
I could only, you know, I, I wouldn't want to imagine a world where the film wasn't what you wanted it to be or what it could have been. So uh, glad to see it made your list, my friend. Um, the, th- the th- next one on my list is going to be a massive surprise, um, but I've really, really uh, grown on this film in recent yeah. years because, again, one more time, there are films which I'll list right at the end which didn't make our lists, which I know people will be screaming at us about, but I'm putting First Man as my third favourite biopic. Now, is it my fir- third favourite film? No, no, it's not. But as a biopic of uh, its central character, when I first watched First Man, I think I gave it like six and a half out of ten. I was coming off of the high of uh, Whiplash and La La Land, and I was expecting another ten out of ten knockout from Damien Chazelle. And I didn't get that originally. I was like, this is... I, don't, I, I respect it, but I'm not vibing with it. I'm not getting anything out of it. And then, oddly enough, I listened to the soundtrack more than anything, because I love this the work of Justin Hurwitz. I think his music is stunning throughout mm. all of the film even uh, babylon well, i wasn't the biggest fan of babylon and i'm not sure that would change but i love the music i love 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 the music so i listened to the first man soundtrack john and i thought i love this you know i love the that the use of the is it the theremone is it called i think it's called or uh that wonderful like that. uh kind of futuristic sounding weird instrument but just the the depth of the music and the emotion in it without even seeing the scenes or remembering them let's be honest I was so hooked that I had to go back and watch it. And almost with that, the music holding my hand, I was, I got so much more into the film and I really, really appreciated more. So what Shazelle was doing and Gosling's portrayal of Neil Armstrong. I always thought, um, uh, the, Oh, I can't remember the actress who plays his wife's name now. Uh, I'm, I'm saying he didn't like her cause she cries. Claire Foy. I think she, I, I said from the first time, I think she is spectacular. I think she is the best, actress performance of that year and i don't think she won i think she even got nominated but the more i watch the film the more i see it, i'm like yeah I, I really really enjoy it so i love where it goes and there are moments in it where there's just silent shots of neil armstrong looking at the moon or uh there's a w- incredible shot on the moon with with his um late child's bracelet which killed me you know for reasons not on air but it absolutely destroyed me and, and the more times i watch i'm like this is this is it this this hits me this gets me where i want it and you know the story is there's a lot of factually correct stuff about it so i enjoy that it's a shame neil armstrong never got to see you know, his life on the screen or this huge moment in history but the more i watch it john the more i really appreciate first man as a biopic and you know i'm always one to turn around and say look i was wrong maybe i was wrong the first time in my opinion and i think i was on this film i really really enjoy it so it's got to number three in my list jb what about you what's taken the penultimate position spike lee's malcolm x um what a film. denzel washington i mean you can't deny it. it's the only biopic on my five that is the uh, cradle to the grave but it's still non-traditional in a lot of ways spike does some interesting things with the camera um yeah, you know spike. stylistically to give us the time periods but we do go from very young uh Denz, uh sorry malcolm to you know to his death uh which you have to do the death of malcolm x yeah. because it's an assassination like there's no way you can't you have to get to that moment it's brutal it's visceral um it 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 does a lot to really convey who Malcolm was. And uh, I think if you pair this with uh, Regina King's one, one night in Miami, um, which is a slice of, of history, right? It's one moment that is maybe true. Maybe it happened, but you get a real sense of each of those four men in one night in Miami, Malcolm being one of them. 
Um, but again, it's it, it's such an interesting juxtaposition because here you're with him for so long. You see him become the man he is when he is murdered. And then in One Night in Miami, you just kind of, you still get a sense of who he is, but it's all in just one room in one night, hence the name. And it's, uh, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of Spike Lee's work and his style. And it, it somehow is still able to come through even in a pretty traditional Wikipedia. Here's all the things Malcolm X did in his life biopic uh and it's long he didn't pull back I, I think it's two and a half hours if i remember correctly but just i mean it's one that i think everyone needs to see i think it uh it shines a light on a part of the civil rights movement that often i think is pushed to the side uh you know it's especially in terms of martin luther king jr is is usually the the one who is discussed the most malcolm being second but being i think uh, a little more controversial depending on who is talking about this the movement and i think this biopic does a really good job of showing all of who he was um and it's it's you know it's it is what it is it stands the test of time and denzel i mean incredible in the role yeah denzel is incredible in in this film and it it and you just look at the the rest of the cast in this angela bassett delroy lindo what a cast. Oh, yeah. I, I, this is a film I saw fairly young. I saw it with my buddy. We kind of watched it when it was on telly and were so taken aback almost by just how, like you said, violent yeah. and just how like upfront this film is about what happened. That it stayed, Obviously, people remember certain scenes in this in terms of the violence, but it stayed with me. And I, I remember revisiting it as, a, as an adult and being so pleased that it, it really held up uh, because I wasn't just sure if it was my kind of adolescent memory remembering it like the way it was but it yeah. holds up man it, it really does i've watched it a um, couple times the last few years because i i went back into spike's filmography and then um i've taught the film a few times um because it is it, it does so much uh to set it up so yeah it's, it's one i've seen a lot especially considering the length but yeah but it's, it's a hard-hitting film but it's a damn good film as well um speaking of which my number two uh, biopic is Patton. The uh, get taken of long films. This film is two hours fifty one minutes long. Uh, this is uh, Franklin J. Schaffner's film with a incredible, incredible turn by George C. Scott. And Patton is uh, a biopic. A it's, it's a it's a war film which kind of manages to straddle both sides of the viewpoint. Is it pro war? Is it anti war? Yes and yes at times. But George C. Scott is this is a it's a performance for the ages in this. It's a tour de force and really, really, really grips you. Everything about this is so gripping. And George C. Scott doesn't make Patton to be this pantomime villain, nor is he this sympathetic general caught in the middle of what was going on. They don't glorify war or anything like that. They managed to get the balance of what they needed to get so very, very right in this film and i know most people who i speak to have seen it are are very similar i don't know people who don't like this film or respect this film at least and you know it's it's more than just george c scott's performance that is obviously the the main part here but that's as a character study i think this is so so well done they very if you don't know who george pat george s Patton is the film does a really really good job of putting that across when i watched this film i'd heard of Patton through a kind of 
slightly elevated more than passing knowledge of the of of american wars and wartime history uh, so i'd heard of it but i didn't know you know what was going on behind that what his what what he sacrificed his you know who he was as a person it's one of the best war films ever made and it's a biopic at that as well which really gets under the skin of his titular character and it's got some incredibly iconic images in this film uh yeah Patton uh is uh, i've been going fairly fairly recent for some of mine jb but Patton, i'm throwing it way back now to the 70s mm-hmm. for this one Patton is is a fantastic fantastic biopic and that's my number two well my last one um and it uh, it's the movie i was so blown away by when i saw it um it's danny boyle's steve jobs uh, i think again if i'm not mistaken that's also sorkin yes dialogue which i obviously i i am a sucker for sorkin's dialogue well, as a lot of people are to be fair uh, i'm not alone Steve Jobs is so cool as a movie because we obviously most of us are familiar with Jobs. Almost everyone, whether you're now, I'm an Android user now, but for I, I had an iPhone for a long time. Um, I've used MacBooks for years. You know, he's such an influential figure into our modern technologically driven world. And we got two Jobs biopics within short distance of each other. One went for the very traditional Wikipedia list of all of his entries, birth to death. Boyles doesn't do that. Boyles takes three key uh, product launches at the very iconic keynote speaker type thing that Jobs is known for. And we just get the like the 20 minutes or 30 minutes up to the moment of it starting. And you have all this behind the scenes stuff, all the drama. And it's three scenes that are distinctly shot so you know what time period they're in, which is a really cool uh, aesthetic of the film on top of it. You get Michael Fassbender giving maybe his best performance. Um, Should have won the Oscar ahead of the Revenant and Leo. And probably will never get nominated again. Unfortunately, I think he's (laughs) great killer, mind you. But um, this movie, is it's it's all talk. It's so much talking. And yet it feels like an action film to me. Uh, It's because of Sorkin's dialogue. It's the walk and talk throughout the film. Uh, You get... Kate uh, Kate Winslet doing a terrible Russian accent that is also <laughs> just incredible. Jeff Bridges is phenomenal in the movie. Seth Rogen gives, I think, one of his earlier dramatic performances as Steve Wozniak. It's it's such a powerhouse biopic. You get such a sense of who this man was through these three moments of his life and, and uh, through a lot of talking and interactions. And it, I just... I love every moment of that movie. I think is a masterpiece of what a biopic can be that you do not have to conform to the Wikipedia laundry list in order to make a powerful, impactful biopic. And it's hard to say Danny Boyle's done some bad movies. He's done some incredible movies, but I, I think this is my favorite Boyle film. I, I just absolutely love Steve jobs. John, again, like some of the films on this list, you tell me that they're, they're doing a film about the guy who, did an iPhone? I'm not interested. Do mm-hmm. why on earth am I going to watch a film about a guy who's really good at doing keynote speeches? Well, this is why because when you get Danny Boyle at, on his A game, Aaron Sorkin's incredible. What you've just said is spang on the money. Aaron Sorkin can make even the most blandest of subjects, which to me this is you know technology, uh, you know film about tech. Oh, come on, you got to, hey, you got to make this sexy. Sorkin makes it like an action film. Whereas, you know, you've got, you know, Fincher can make it almost like a thriller. Sorkin yeah. makes this like an action movie with his dialogue because it's so gripping. And, 
you know, you're talking, you know, he's one of the best writers out there, but he, there's a reason he just gets it. He can make exposition dumps and huge wordy monologues feel so compelling and so engaging. And Steve Jobs, I hold my hand up, went into it. I'm interested because Danny Ball's directing it. But other than that, I was expecting to be a little bit ho-hum, but goddamn is a good and I stand by it. Leo, I yeah. love you. You're not winning for the Revenant. Fazbender had this all day long. That This was his to to lose and to win. And a little bit of a kind of academy sway there for, for Leo, who's great in the Revenant. But you know, this is an incredible performance and it's a very, very, very good film. And like you said, this is what a biopic, when done right, this is how it can and almost should be done. My one, John, you've already mentioned it. I, 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 I promise you it's supposed to be on there, but when I did my list at work earlier on, I put the first five that came to my mind and I kind of changed it on the fly. My number one is Mario Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? I adore this film, JB. I absolutely love this film. Uh, it is the story of uh, Lee Israel, who was a celebrity biographer once. She her sales were dwindling. She what she you know she's not flavor of the week. Her agent even says basically says the way you look, the way you are, the way you talk, you you've not got a hope in hell of making a dime, let alone making it making it rich. So she decides to turn to deception. She writes, uh, she forges letters from famous uh, writers of old, and kind of puts her own spin on them. So there's a little bit of her in there, a little bit of whomever the subject is. And she goes to sell them to 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 uh, to literary agents or, or or to shops who can sell them on to willing buyers to have in their collection. And she makes a ton of money out of this, played with yeah, a plum by Melissa McCarthy, doing what she does best in these dramatic roles, crushing it, bringing in so much weight, so much drama, so much nuance, so much depth to this brazenly unlikable character of Lee Israel. She's not a likable person, but God damn, if I, by the end of it, you know, I didn't fall in love with this character hand in hand with Richard E. Grant's spectacularly good, uh, supporting role as Jack Hawk, who is this almost like Fagan esque, uh, character who kind of dips in and out. He's a chancer. He's, um, he hangs around in New York's uh, premier gay bar. He's a gay gentleman that comes into the film later on in a hard hitting way. Uh, he is obviously also a real life person or was a real life person. Their relationship, I, I mentioned before, I think they're my favorite on screen scoundrels ever, almost like as a couple. And they both liked that tweet, which, which made me feel really pleased. The two of them <laughs> work so well together. It's funny. It's engaging. It's compelling. It's dramatic. It's realistic as well. I find that the way, how the film ends up is exactly how you'd expect it to. They haven't changed it or sugarcoated it for the audience. So this is what happened in real life. This is what happened in the film. This is the, this is the reality of it. I really, really enjoyed that. And I have actually shown this to a few people before whom have said, uh, who know I've got a collection of films and they'll say, do you mind if I borrow a few films? And I've given them a few. And this is generally always one of them because I think it's just a film which can appeal to so many people and the few mm-hmm. people I've given it to have all said they absolutely loved it. It just worked for them on so many levels. And I love it. I just, I, I just love the, the nature of this film, the tone of this film. I love the jazz uh, soundtrack to this film as well. Um, I think Mario Heller alongside um, Jeff Whitty and Nico Holofcena, who wrote the original treatment for this absolutely crushed it. I can't remember who was supposed to play the lead 
in this role. There was uh, before Richard E. Grant and uh, Melissa McCarthy were cast. Uh, they're actually uh, it was it was Chris O'Dowd and I know Sam Hock Sam Rockwell was going to be Jack Hock. Julianne Moore was Lee Israel, and then Chris O'Dowd joined the cast. But eventually, creative differences and conflicts they all dropped out, and Melissa McCarthy was hired. Ben Falcone is in this film. However, it's one of the Falcone McCarthy collaborations, which does work. But I love this film. I cannot recommend this enough. I get so much joy watching this film. I could watch it monthly because I, I, I it surprised me so much, John, how this came out of nowhere for me. I wasn't on my radar and I loved it. So can you ever forgive me? No, number one. Well, I'm glad that I know you well enough that it, I was like, why isn't that on his list? Like, I know how much you love oh this movie. So, <laughs> oh my. And listen, guys out there, Amadeus, Gandhi, uh, Schindler's List, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, yeah. uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, so many good movies. The King's Speech, Braveheart, the classics. Are they some of the best biops, biopics ever? Undoubtedly, objectively, yes. But... I don't want to speak for John, but my kind of final thoughts on this are some of those films are very heavy. You know, obviously you look yeah. at this immediately is a, a damn near perfect film. I cannot sit down and rewatch that. You know, I just can't bring myself to sit down of an evening and think I need to watch Schindler's List because it's, it, it's a very tough watch. Something like, as you as people know, Amadeus is my, my last Foreman's film. Very good film. But it doesn't always appeal to me in the way that I want to sit down and watch something like The Founder because I can watch that with this kind of boundless energy. Is that a better film than Amadeus? Uh, no, technically no. But for me, it's one of my top five. And I didn't want to speak for you, JB, but I thought we'd just cover that. Those films exist. Yeah. We haven't forgotten them, but they just maybe don't make no. our favorite personal list. Yeah, these are subjective as crap. Um, but, I, you know... Um... I have, I have no, I don't feel the need to defend my five. You like what you Thank like, you, listener. It's, it's all good. What that guy said. So we'd love to know your top five or, or just your favorite biopics. Do let us know any we missed out on, any of ours that you agree with, or any that you haven't seen and you want to check out. If you do check some of them out, let us know what you thought, and hopefully you dig the ones on our list which you haven't seen. But that's going to be our concessions of a cinephile. Let's move away from the water cooler, JB, and into media consumption, where we talk about the movies, TV shows, video games, music, podcasts, which aren't ours, anything which we have watched or indulged in to pass the time since our last recording. JB, what have you been checking out? So um, because we've run a little long, too, I'm going to just power through these. I've seen a lot of stuff. Again, it's four-year consideration time, so we're getting a lot of screenings. Um, I did rewatch The Hunger Games' uh, Ballad of Songbird and Snakes on Thanksgiving with my wife and daughter, who had not seen it. Mostly holds up. I, I think I'm a little less into it out in second viewing. Still say positive, mm. though. I have seen Saltburn, the Emerald Fennel film that's getting a lot of controversy. It's pretty wild. I am on the positive side of that movie. Uh, the Eternal Memory a very devastating documentary about Alzheimer's um, new stand-up special. I'm a big fan of Mike Birbiglia stand-up and uh, his new special dropped on Netflix. I will say I paired it with the eternal memory. Not a good idea. Uh, mm -hmm. it, you, you are going to have a midlife crisis if you're 41 and <laughs> worried about life. Um, <laughs> I, I got that in my inbox and I haven't watched it yet. The eternal memory because it sounded quite heavy. It's, it's very good. It's, I don't think it's like the best documentary, but it is a very emotional and heartfelt story. And it is 
pure love on screen as far as the couple that the, the film follows. I caught Rustin, which I see that you also saw, uh, which is, I think, now on Netflix. Um, yes. A movie I can say nothing about until Thursday, but my review for it will be on BurkeReviews.com on Thursday. Uh, Candy Cane Lane, the new Eddie Murphy, I, the first Eddie Murphy Christmas movie. I was shocked to realize that for all this time, Eddie Murphy's never done a Christmas movie. I guess unless you count Shrek the Halls, because uh, I think he voices Donkey in that. But um, yes. I saw Ava DuVernay's film Origin. Um, I saw Robot Dreams, which is uh, an animated film um, that's in the neon box. Uh, I got to see Michael Mann's Ferrari. Ooh. I'm not sure if I can talk about any of those just yet. So I'm just like, I'm like, I saw them because I, I mean, it's, I, I get confused with the FYC considerations. I still feel like there, there might be embargoes. I'm allowed to vote on them. I don't know if I can like just give all of my thoughts, but um, all positive on those movies. Uh, I saw The Mission, which is another documentary. It's an at Geo documentary. I think that one is actually out on Hulu. I happened to get lucky. I went to the Regal Mystery movie last night, and it was American Fiction, a movie that's getting a it lot was, of was uh, buzz. Um, and I liked that movie quite a bit. Uh, I think it's quite uh, – it's it's surprisingly funny. Like, it's really, really funny. And I think it has a lot of commentary. Uh, I think there's two strands of satire being wove together in a very compelling way that – I engaged with. I don't know if everyone will engage with it in the same way. Caught today, uh, Totem, which is a, um, I think it's an international nominee for Mexico. I believe that's correct. Very uh, emotional film. And then mm-hmm. I caught Monster, which is a uh, film from Japan this year, which is another Rashomon style film where you get three different perspectives of the same story, um, which I love. I tend to love those, and I this one is no exception. Although, I, I I was not fully sure what I was supposed to be getting from the movie until the the end. I was like, oh okay, now it all clicks. So I don't know if that was just me missing things or if it was like intentionally I was I wasn't wrong for being lost. Like I, I I'm not sure, but uh, still a very very uh good movie. And then that's all the movies I've been consuming. Any anything you want to to comment on? Um, Saltburn, I was hoping to have seen last week. I was, I had a chance to go to the screening, but end of the month and all that being busy. So I, I decided to save that one for, um, the theatrical release. So I'm going to be checking that one out in the next day or two. Happy to hear that Candy Cane Lane is a film with Eddie Murphy based at Christmas. And, uh, I'll be, ch- I, I may check that out based on the, f- what you have said. Uh, Ferrari, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that, especially given, uh, Adam Driver's, um, very br- um, uh, curt comments in the press conferences, which I'm uh, here for. I gotta say, I, I often don't like people in Q and A's um, normally. So when he yes. when I saw the video, I laughed. But I I, I kind of think the dude might be right. Like, oh wow, <laughs> it's, okay, it's, no, we'll, we'll, we'll it's a pretty extreme scene. Like it's it's pretty. I was like, oh. Okay. 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 Maybe he has a point. Like, <laughs> you know, you're going up against Kylo Ren. You better have your facts straight. But no, yeah, I, I'm with you. Do you know, call people out fine. But in this instance, Adam Driver, American Fiction. I know you said you thought that was what the film was going to be, so I'm glad it was and that you enjoyed it as well. So decent looking list of films there, JB. And uh, I, I always marvel at how many you can get in and during a week. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it, it's it is it's easier to watch them when I know I'm not writing a review for everyone. So it's like, yes. oh yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and watch these. And lastly, though, uh, I've I've started listening. I, I'm like halfway through the Gone Girl audiobook, 
because I, I really like the movie. I've only seen the movie once. I want to rewatch it uh, because I've been listening to the Blank Check Fincher series, which just ended. And uh, I, I heard the book was just really, really cool and also structured slightly differently. So I was like, I'm kind of curious, very much enjoying the book. Although I, I do think it's, it suffers a little with me knowing how it's going to play out. You know what I'm saying? I, I wish I could erase my knowledge of the story. Um, but it's still really, really cool to, to like listen to, especially cause I do know. So I'm like, I'm kind of like de, de- uh, deconstructing it while listening to it. Like, Oh, I see what they're doing there. I see what they're doing there. But yeah. Uh, what about you, sir? What have you been consuming? Uh, this week I, I've got a lot, I've got to apologize to all the listeners out there to John Burke. I said, I was going to absolutely destroy the, uh, the screen is in my inbox and cinematic trips, but life, uh, found a way to get in the way of that. But I have still seen a few films, uh, and new films too, too new, too old, uh, in the, I've listened to the horror show and Nightmare on Film Street podcast, as always. Um, the only podcast I really listen to are Odd Horror Film uh, Podcast or Double Toasted on YouTube, which is uh, fun, satire and comedy. In terms of the films, though, John, uh, shameless plug, I, I rewatched Grand Prix from 1966. Uh, the reason being our episode on movie astrology, where we spoke about Grand Prix and the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming from 1966 has just dropped. So please do go check that out it's on youtube please subscribe to us and it's on spotify and all good podcast performances uh providers sorry um so go check out the show for our thoughts on that uh, i watched the fellowship of the ring the lord of the rings the reason being is it's always on tv in the uk always on tv to the point now yes. all three of them to the point now where sky have just got middle earth as a channel for the next month or so, because it's end of the year. It's just Middle Earth HD, so it's all of the Middle Earth films. Uh, and and it was about ten minutes into the Fellowship of the Ring, and I love that film anyway. And I wasn't intending to watch it, but man, I love that film. I was drawn, and I ended up watching the whole thing. Uh, new films, though, JB. Yes, I watched Rustin. It's on Netflix, and uh, this is a film where we're talking about. Sorry, Martin Luther King. Sorry, Rustin is an advisor to uh, MLK. And it's it's his story now. It's his it's his quest in this era, and uh, obviously mm-hmm. it dives into his personal life as well, and how that plays into his story and his kind of legacy, or or, or how the film kind of gives you the legacy. I will say about uh, Rustin, I think it's a better acted film than it's a better film. I think it's a very good film. Don't get me wrong, but I think the acting is superb. Coleman Domingo is as good as I'd heard he was. Uh, I think he will be up for best actor this year. Very well acted film, but I think the film in itself is, it's a good film. It tells its story. It does what it needs to do, but I think it's elevated somewhat by the performances, uh, but definitely do go check it out though, guys. It's on Netflix. And I watched the inventor. This film came into my inbox last week and it's a stop motion animated <gasps> biographical film about Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, and it's written, produced and directed by Jim Capo Bianco. And I, I was just sort of taken by the eye. It's an hour and a half long, uh, an animation film about Leonardo da Vinci as he tackles the meaning of life with French princesses alongside him. And I was just interested by the, the idea of it. Then I saw the cast list and I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll check this out. It's, it's got a cast list of voices of Stephen Fry, uh, Marion Cotillard, Daisy Ridley, Matt Berry. It's got a very decent, um, voice cast list here. Uh, Natalie Palamides, who was in uh, Apocalypse Clown, which we covered at Fantasia Fest as well. And also because there were interview opportunities, which I am currently discussing with some of those 
quite big names. So I was like, well, I better watch the film, and I quite enjoyed it. It's a it's a it's a fun whimsical film, which maybe probably would have worked better as a short film, but I liked it nonetheless in terms of the uh, animation. I think the stop motion is beautifully done, and it's a it's a nice film. Didn't blow me away, but it's a nice film. So that's the Inventor. I believe it's getting a uh, a release in the coming month, I think. So check it. Kids will like it, I think, as well. But good voice cast. Other than that, JB, that's me. I haven't been listening to any audio books. I haven't been playing any video games as of yet. I still need to finish Spider Man Two. But yeah, um, this time next week, though, I will have watched more films like John because I want to absolutely we're coming up to Bampy season man I want to make it as meaningly as possible to be able to give us the best list at the Bampies but that is going to do it then for this week's episode of the bloody awesome movie podcast I find that the shows where we don't do a spoiler minisode they run 10 minutes longer because we get a little bit more in with those non-spoiler discussions but uh, that is all those kind of mid-spoiler discussions but that is going to do it for this week's episode but Ba, 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 ba. the show is called bloody awesome movie podcast we would be fraud frauds if we only gave you the pretty good movie podcast we have to keep our levels of bloody awesomeness to a certain level every week so john how have you been maintaining those bloody awesome levels i have been enjoying the cooler weather which we kind of already talked about i realized like we always talk weather i don't know why i would include that here <laughs> but uh it's florida we are, you know, we don't get a lot of cold weather. We get maybe a month or two if we're lucky. Um, I got to break out a long sleeve shirt today. I got to wear a hoodie on top of it, which is just like two things that don't always happen. Um, and it stayed cool all day, which is not always uh, how our cold weather works. Sometimes like it's real cold in the morning and then by the afternoon it's 90 degrees again. You're like, oh, that's what it's going to be like in a few days. Like, yes, uh, today, tomorrow and Wednesday, though, it's supposed to be I'm sorry, today, tomorrow, and Thursday, it's supposed to be like stay in the 40s, stay in the 50s throughout the day. And I really appreciate those cool days uh, for similar reasons to what you said earlier. Um, I prefer cold to hot because I can put on a jacket and a long sleeve shirt versus when I'm hot, I I will only go to shorts and a t-shirt. So I'm just stuck being hot. So yeah, hot, I've just been embracing the cold weather. Thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> what, what about you, buddy? How are you staying bloody awesome? embracing the cold weather except when i'm in it uh, i love looking out the window at the cold weather but john it's, it's christmas i have been enjoying christmas shopping because i'm organized you could look at the date and think are you organized because you've left it quite late i've been doing it for a little while now i've got an idea of what i'm getting everyone and i'm enjoying the uh, absolute chaos and pandemonium that is the end of year christmas shopping uh, obviously i've been sending the list off to santa claus to saint nick to uh, procure these items for me um, especially when it comes to uh, my kid you know Santa Claus is getting those ready right now um, but no, I've been enjoying just Christmas shopping mate it's, I love this time of the year I, I've said it before man just going to the going to the mall shopping center they've got the uh, over-the-top lights which are probably killing the electricity bill we're all paying for it anyway the lights the, the decor up the shops are playing Christmas music I know you've got the festive treats in the coffee shops in the delis in the in the diners in the uh in the cafes it's this this is the best time of the year come on autumn leading into winter and Christmas it's the best time of the year it ends with the bampies but I, I'm thoroughly enjoying actually this year the less stressful Christmas shopping aspect of it and maybe there'll be something winging its way to Florida we'll see if John has been a good boy this year i've got to see if it's been naughty or nice but yeah christmas shopping 
I, I, I did do some Black Friday shopping myself, so I was kind of tempted to switch mine at the last second, but I was like, I'm not going to steal Matt's Thunder. I'll let him have it. So <laughs> I appreciate um, you, baby. Always looking out for uh, the little ones. So I, I was about to say, I think we messed up because I didn't know if we settled on uh, next week's episode, but it looks like you have highlighted one. So I have. And this is this could be subject to change, guys, out there. So we may leave you on a little bit of tentook here, but next week we had a choice of three films to watch, basically down to... The it's not only is it Christmas, not only is it the Bampies, not only is it the best time of the year, but it's a time of the year when distribution companies and production companies like to really screw up the schedule for anyone outside of the US. Um, yeah, so there are films do. that are coming out in the US now, which may, maybe don't come out until late January, mid January, February, maybe later in the in the UK. So we had to kind of play a little bit fast and loose with what we're doing next week. I think we've settled though on Saltburn. I think we're going to be covering Emerald Fennell's latest film, Oscar-winning Emerald Fennell, let's just say that. Otherwise, stay tuned, because you may be getting a review of Godzilla Minus One, which I'm hearing nothing but good things about, or you may be getting a review of Silent Night as well. But as it stands, Saltburn will be the one, because John's seen it. I'm going to see it uh, tomorrow, I think. So, Just for the record, Silent Night will be John Woo's return to American filmmaking. um, True. Or something and also i didn't know this do you know the the conceit of why it's called silent night i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna be lying if i said i could remember so do tell oh, me uh, i just learned i was reading some reviews it's uh dialogue free it, oh, wow. there is no no spoken words from my understanding in the film um it does look to be like plot driven for that like something happens that causes that uh, uh eventuality um but yeah it's supposed to be an action you know, John Woo style movie with no dialogue. That that's a choice. So, uh, okay. Well, hey, listen, but I'm pretty sure between us and together, we will see all three of those anyway. Yes. But, yeah. But I kind of piqued my interest somewhat in that now. Um, because if it's, if it stinks after half an hour, man, that could be a slog, but hopefully the John Wooiness can see us through. But as it stands, it looks like Saltburn is going to be our main discussion point of the week. If that changes, though, we'll make sure we put something on the bloody awesome movie podcast socials and we'll tell you where you can find us. You can find us on X at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. John, where can they find us on Instagram? Bloody awesome movie pod. Yes, sir. We're also on Facebook. Uh, go search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast on there. Do check out the Tomato Meter on Rotten Tomatoes because the BAMP is a Tomato Meter approved show. And we do contribute to that number, which many, many people get into many, many arguments about. So uh, check it out for our review of Napoleon. We'll be on there with a little snippet of our thoughts, which you've just heard in great detail. If you want to follow me, you can do. Just go to whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and search what I watched tonight across all of the socials, including Letterboxd. John, where are you? I am at Burke Reviews uh, and at Burke Reviews on all the... I'm sorry, at BurkeReviews.com and at Burke Reviews on all the social media platforms. I knew I forgot something when I said it. I was like, wait, what? Where am I? You've it um, over the last six years. Yeah, I know. It's wild. But, you know, it's it just search Burke Reviews. It's going to be me. Uh, it's <laughs> yes. going to be me. It's going to be me. Six years on this show, seven years in publication, of course. But uh, we hope you enjoy what we're doing on the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast for the last six years, but also on this show, uh, this week's episode. If you have, please do leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice because you have no idea how much it helps to show out. It gets new listeners in. It bumps us up all of these fangled listening lists plus you know we're all film fans it's another avenue for us to talk to more film fans each and every week but with that 
As always, stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.